right, everybody. Welcome to the 264th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, Dustin, before we started recording, just burped, and it was impressively loud. So I just wanted to start off by being very transparent with our audience. (laughs) Hey, Olga made a fantastic chilaquiles with uh, just a magnificent red sauce, and... For anybody who knows me, I love breakfast and I love Mexican and mostly a lot of Tex-Mex. So when you put breakfast and Tex-Mex together, my worlds just combine and I am so happy. So I'm in a great mood, Sage. Like we are here discussing a fantastic idea that you came to me with uh, in the new year, thinking about, you know, the blazer season isn't going exactly how all of us had wanted to, like right? We're probably without our superstar for a significant amount of time. The COVID protocols had made it really difficult to see any uh, chemistry and consistency with teams across the league. And you had a Blazer team that got off to a, a slow start and have really never been able to pick it back up. The bonus or silver lining to that is the Blazers may actually keep their draft pick this year, which spurned this idea. Now, for our listeners who may not be aware or just would would like a refresher, Portland traded their first round draft pick as part of that three team deal back in the summer with Chicago and Cleveland. Cleveland signed and trade Lowry Markinen to Chicago. Portland sent Derek Jones Jr. and a lottery-protected first-round pick to Chicago while Larry Nance Jr. came back to Portland. So that pick is lottery-protected until 2028, meaning as long as Portland does not make the playoffs, the play-in doesn't count. They'd have to actually win those play-in games to make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, Portland gets that pick, a much-needed pick, I would say, and I think you would would say as well, the Trailblazers have not had a first-round pick since they selected Nasir Little uh, in late in the draft, in the 2019 draft. So it's going to be potentially three years between first-round picks. And for small market teams, first-round picks are the lifeblood of any organization. Not only are you getting uh, a high-potential player with a, with a very big ceiling, you're getting them on a cost-controlled contract, and you are hopefully – going to strike gold like Portland has done in their franchise's history through the draft. So your idea, Sage, future Fridays, every Friday, every other Friday, however we get to it, we are going to talk about a prospect and we may talk about a prospect multiple times. And here's how it's going to kind of work out. Sage, you provided a link that showcased an individual game for said prospect. We watch it. We take notes. We break it down. We discuss how that player could fit with Portland, some player comps, how good or maybe average they could end up being, and kind of take it from there. With some of the higher-end prospects, you're probably going to hear us record at least two to three episodes about them because you want to see their growth. Like You take notes from early on in the season. A, A player, especially a young player, is going to transition and mature and evolve and you're going to see a different product from you know february march march madness than you did october november so without further ado 
up first is is Jabari Smith. Now, Jabari Smith, for for those of you who don't know, he is a freshman power forward at Auburn University, 6'10", 220 pounds. He's 18 years old. He's born in May, so he will be 19 at the time of the draft. He's from uh, Tyrone, Georgia, five-star by all of the major outlets. Rivals had him as the number six player overall nationally. He chose Auburn over the likes of Alabama, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and so on. Basically had the pick of the litter in terms of who he wanted to go play for. Uh, some other interesting tidbits I found when, when researching about him is his father actually played four years, Jabari Smith Sr., in the league. He played with Philadelphia, New Jersey, and Sacramento. He's also cousin to Kwame Brown, who was the former number one overall pick back in 2001. And you're going to probably get a really good chance at seeing a lot of Jabari Smith, whether it's on ESPN, CBS, Fox, and the upcoming tournament. Auburn is doing fantastic this year. At the time of this recording, they are 12 and one, ranked number nine in both the AP and uh, USA Today coaches polls. And he is the number one prospect right now. He has taken over that top spot by almost every mock draft we have seen. So ESPN has him at three and Bleacher Report has him at three. The rest well, of dummies. them. They're yeah. dummies. So the reason he went to <laughs> the reason he went to Auburn is their coach Bruce Pearl recruited him in junior high school. That's how long the uh, recruitment process recruitment process for him took. They found him in junior high school. He's been a great player for a very long time. And it's kind of crazy that if you're a great prospect, you've been recruited for like five years when you're a high school senior. It's kind of insane. I, I just wanted to to quickly jump in and just mention his, his averages through the time of this recording. Uh, played in 14 games, 15, 15.7 points. Six and a half boards, 2.1 assists, shoots the ball 44% from the field, 44.5% from three, 84 at the line, which is a great indicator of how they're going to shoot at the next level. Mm -hmm. Doing this in 27 minutes with a 25.6 player efficiency rating. So he is not just a player who has shown flashes of brilliance, like you see some high prospects come in. He's actually putting the productivity on a consistent basis. And that's really what you love to see out of highly touted freshmen. Um, Sage, when I think of highly touted freshmen, uh, there's two, there's three really that, that come to mind that lived up to the hype and you knew that they were going to be it right away. And I'm not saying Jabari Smith is that, but just as kind of a litmus test, I go back to Carmelo Anthony at Syracuse. You know, he led them to a national championship. He was a man amongst boys in that single mm -hmm. season at Syracuse. You could see that he was ready for prime time. Then you look at Kevin Durant, who really was the future. He's this freak of nature, 6'11", seven-footer, shooting from all across the, the perimeter. Couldn't bench 185 for squat, but that didn't matter. I mean, he was showing what the future of the NBA looked like what the future of basketball was about to become. Mm -hmm. And then maybe more of a better comparison, just given positional type, because point guard, shooting guard, small forward at the collegiate level, they are always going to 
take precedence. They have the ball in their hands. It's a much different game. You don't see a lot of posts up, post ups. But Anthony Davis at, at, at Kentucky, you could see the greatness in him leading Kentucky to a national championship. The two way threat that he showed on a nightly basis. Those, when I think of top three picks from highly touted, you know, you know, fabulous freshmen, you kind of want to think about those three players and could you envision them having that type of success? Otherwise you might get into, I'm not going to besmirch Jabari's name, but then you might be getting into like Anthony Bennett territory where it's okay. He's a five-star guy, but he didn't really put up good numbers. It's not a great draft class, but let's roll the dice on him. Like there is those, those kind of two baskets you can get in. And I definitely see Jabari Smith, in more of that elite type of basket. And Sage, as you mentioned, this was the the second game of the season. It was all the way back on November 12th against Louisiana Monroe. And I'm going to let you take it away from here because you're the one that introduced me to Jabari Smith. Um, You came up with this fabulous content idea. So what was your thought process in coming up with this idea and what made you want to do Jabari Smith first? Well, I watched the uh, first Auburn game and it felt like, okay, this kid Jabari Smith is dominant, but it, it wasn't like a complete game of dominance. And then I watched this second game just randomly on uh, YouTube TV. And I was like, okay, this is where we get to see the Jabari Smith game where he dominated on all fronts, like defensively passing rebounding, shooting, obviously shooting, because he's probably the best shooter in the draft at 6'10". So you got to see the full facet of his game. And that's when I started talking on the original Holy Backboard show, like, this kid is going to be a fantastic pairing with whoever we have on the Trailblazers at the time. And he was dominant. He, What I loved about his performance was he filled up the box score you're looking at 23 points, did it on seven of 12 shooting, three of five from downtown, got to the line eight times, converted six of those, pulled down 10 boards, two assists, four steals, two blocks. Did that against a Louisiana Monroe team that was kind of being a bit pesky and was leading throughout most, most of that first half. And then Auburn really blew it open. It was actually Jabari Smith who in the second the not quarter because they don't play in quarters, but the, the, the second part of the first half, he scored the last 10, he scored 10 straight points for Auburn to keep them in that game as you know, Louisiana Monroe was really making, making their, their push. So he kind of kept them afloat offensively and then he just kind of took over, but it was really fun watching this game, you know, taking notes. Sage, what, what are some of the things that just kind of jumped off at you as, as you watched this game? Since this was my second time watching this game, of course I knew that he was going to score at those points. But the thing that I noticed that I loved the most was his perimeter defense. His feet are so, like he has such active feet and he cuts off angles really well for a 6'10", small forward, power forward, small ball center. To have that ability to use your feet and your body to cut down angles 
Like it wasn't just one time. It was like a consistent, I'm going to put an effort in and make you have to change what you're doing multiple times or pass it. You're not scoring easy on me when I'm guarding you in the perimeter. You know, I, I think of him as kind of like a team defender, but I wouldn't be scared if his man set a screen and there was a full switch and he was going against some guard in the league. I mean, we just watched a game where the Heat's junk players dominated that to have like I feel like Jabari Smith might be one of our best defenders the second he comes onto the Trailblazers if that happens I think whenever you have a prospect and you're not certain whether offense or defense is going to be their calling card they're both so elite that's where you really get excited that's where I I get excited because especially early out of the gates the defense is going to be the, the calling card and the defense stood out to me as well. Uh, Bruce Pearl is actually doing him a gigantic favor with how he's coaching him this year because he was putting him at the top of the zone, 30, 35 feet away on an Island at times playing, playing in space. He also was roaming. He was back there like a Rudy Gobert, you know, as, as a free safety. So he he's getting these, these chances to, like you said, play team defense, play individual defense. You can really see how the how he could project into the league guarding a three, a four, or a five. Uh, I, I would say just from the second game, there were very few critiques that I had. I think obviously at two twenty, there's room to put uh, weight on that frame. To get a little bit stronger, he does an initial. He does a really good job initially at closing out on the perimeter, but there's a couple of dribbles, and his his defender can kind of lean into him, and you know he can kind of lose his his center of balance. That's not something you worry about with a prospect. They're going to go and become best friends with the weight room. I did love that he is able to play really good defense without fouling. That has been. I think a, a big sticking point with a lot of young bigs in the league, especially drafted by the Portland Trailblazers. You look at Zach Collins, even going back to Greg Oden, both players, when they were healthy, had a really hard time playing defense without fouling. And those are good habits to have early on, because as we all know, NBA officials don't tend to give rookies the, the benefit of the doubt and they kind of give them a little bit harder time. They have a, you know, stricter learning curve when it comes to some of those calls. So I was just really impressed with how he was able to conceptualize zone versus man moving all, all around. Um, he was really just like their do it all defender. There's a couple of plays where he, you know, I, I think he has potential to become a really amazing weak side shot blocker. He had one, but I think that there's more like he he has the length. He has the instincts. I think once he gets stronger and more experience in terms of where he's at on the floor, he, he could be an eraser uh, on the back end and, and just uh, just terror on the perimeter. I mean, we're, we're talking about one of the game changing defenders, almost like, you know, Draymond Green's like six, eight, this dude's six, 10. So if you can kind of fathom that, if he gets the instincts that Draymond has and they're they're not there yet. He has, I think, defensive player of the year potential. And that's something I don't say lightly. So I think that he got that humongous advantage, just like Evan Mobley with both of their fathers being high level basketball coaches and players. 
So he got that experience of like going against a high level basketball player, probably when they were 14 years old. So they just have such a, just such an advantage over other, other uh, players in their classes because of the, the, what their fathers were able to impart on them defensively. Of course. I mean, like Evan's probably going to win defensive player of the year, at least once in his career. So having that just background knowledge, it's such a huge, huge advantage and really think that he has a special skill set for defending. I'm, I'm very curious how the, the plyometrics staff at with the Blazers or whoever can get him stronger, but not lose the fluidity, especially in his feet. Cause I think that is like, I think that might be his calling card defensively is how fluid he moves at 610 to 20. What's the first thing you look at when you're scouting a big, how they move. Do they look awkward? Does it look smooth? Exactly. That's the first thing that I was watching for with, with Jabari and he just has incredible agility for uh, a person, his size, when he moves, it looks like a six foot tall person's moving. It looks like a five foot five, you know, small guard, a Muggsy Bogues. Like he, he's, he looks natural in what he does. It's not clunky. It's not robotic. It's his frame looks like it can handle 10 to 15 extra pounds. Like you don't need him to bulk up too much especially in the modern NBA, but just, you know, a couple extra pounds of muscle to take on the grind of an 82 game season and he'll be there. So yeah, I would, I would caution him to stay on the the leaner side. I think that the staying lean will allow him to have a longer career in, in the league and will probably reduce the stress on those joints, those feet, those knees. I mean, these are, the 1% of, of humankind in terms of their size, you don't want all of that weight coming down on those joints and, and bones. So um, whoever drafts him, you know, really needs to take care of, of that body because the, the future is, is really bright. But aside from how they move, one thing that I always look for is that, that like aha moment, like the, the flashes of brilliance, like okay, this is what this player, this is their absolute ceiling. And there were two plays that I saw that I was like, oh, damn, like we need this number one pick. Like this, this guy is the real deal. Uh, and, and he had a play in each of the, the, the halves. So in the first half, he pulled down a rebound, just dribbled the ball up the court, pulled up from three from the top of the key, just was it was so graceful and nothing but it didn't even hesitate on it and I was like that's pretty damn amazing for a player of his size to be able to do to be able to move and to be able to shoot like that the second one I mean I was raving to you about this oh, I did and, I did I did rewind it a few times yeah. I knew it was coming I had to rewind it a few times again coming off the rebound dribbling coast to coast the smaller defenders in his way out about the midcourt line he goes behind his back right to left in one motion continues dribbling up the court there's another defender at the cup yet he's able to outstretch over him with a nice layup and one and I was telling you this, like the last big guy I remember like dribbling behind his back, like was a young Shaq coming into the league out of Louisiana state for, for the Orlando magic and big men aren't supposed to be able to move and dribble and have all of that hand-eye coordination. I mean, I, I couldn't even do it. And, and I'm, you know, just a regular guy, like six ten, 
to, mm-hmm. to, to not get pickpocketed by by another guard. Like I know he's not going to be doing that every time down the floor, but hand-eye coordination is something that I look for, especially in a, a big man. Um, it's just you just something you can't teach. Like that's what makes the 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 cream of the crop, the the, the cream of the crop. I, I think the rebounding was incredibly impressive to me. And if you look at his stat sheet, it's like 10 rebounds a game every game. So which is hard to do in a college. You're only getting and he's like, playing power like, forward. Yeah, he's, he's only playing Keisler Edwards is the center. So he's playing power forward. Not Walker and Kessler was Walker. Center. Walker Kessler. <laughs> I think I talked about the, was that the guy from Pepperdine last year that I just mentioned? All right. Well, yeah. Well, he him playing power forward and contributing to that is pretty impressive because he had a knack for just getting into the right spot. He's not the strongest player on the court, but I think he's one of the smartest with getting his body to the right space and jumping. I don't think he's going to be an incredible above the rim athlete. So his anticipation has to be at a high level for him to get those rebounds. And I really do think that he's in a rebound at a good level. I mean, once he puts on weight, understands what scheme he runs, he's going to be a really good rebounder. And that's why I think that there is a legitimate chance of him being a small ball five, especially in high leverage minutes. Like just think about if the Blazers play the jazz, you can put him at five and force Utah to react to that shooting because you can't leave a guy that shoots 43% wide open. That's just Terry Stotts against the Warriors type of strategy. So you can't, Rudy Gobert only plays drop. So you're going to have to force him to put in Rudy Gay or somebody else. So it's, it's a huge advantage, especially in those high leverage minutes that he is such a good rebounder. Yeah, and you mentioned playing five or four i love the pick and pop potential of jabari smith i think it's absolutely through the roof his he had a three point he had a three-pointer off of a screen that just looked like it could have been ran hand over fist every time down the Mm -hmm. court it's a really nice form on his Mm -hmm. jump shot it's quick it's fluid it doesn't look like he is having to exert himself to get it to the rim as i mentioned he shoots 44 percent from three and 84% from the line. A lot of people who talk prospects in scouting and how players transition, they, they talk about that shot from the line. What you shoot at the line in college usually tends to project to how well they shoot um, from three in, in the professional. So that, that's a really great sign for, for Jabari that he is going to be able to shoot the ball at a, at a high clip, at a consistent clip, and he's a, a threat to, to the defense, Sage, I even saw him one play score off the bounce. Like, oh, yeah, I, I, he hits off movement. He hits off the bounce. Like, it's not there yet, but the you ability, see it. You, you see, see the ability. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it, but being able to shoot it off the bounce, off the catch, and in rhythm at 6'10", how many Michael Porter Jr. and who else can Kevin shoot Durant. like that? Oh, he doesn't, he shouldn't count, but yes, it, it's a very select number of players that can, that can shoot in three different ways. Like that, that's like Desmond Bain level of shooting. I mean, I, I would say, I think he projects more as a face up big rather than a, rather than a back to the basket big. I think he's dunked five times this year. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't, 
there's two players in the entire world right now that get post-ups ran for them. And it's Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. I don't see him as that type of big. So I, like I said, I project him more as more of like a, a LaMarcus Aldridge, Rashid Wallace type of big in terms of their ability to pick and pop, stretch the floor and do that sort of scoring, you know, adding to, to his uh, repertoire. But We've gushed about him. Sage, what are some areas that he could work on, whether you call them weaknesses or just that he's going to get better as he gets older? I think the number one thing is that a lot of his passing is very predetermined. He sees somebody, he's going to pass it to that person. Yeah, that was, uh, I noted that. That alley-oop play. There was a play where he had the ball on the break. He could have probably just took it for a dunk, laid it up. But yeah, he saw his teammate, probably wanted to get the crowd hype through an unnecessary lob pass that was just teleported to mm-hmm. the defender and it, and it was knocked out of bounds. So I absolutely agree with that. And even in some plays where he was like trying to set something up, you knew where the ball was going. Like the, the, the play design is meant for this, this action to happen. If Jabari cannot get his shot, he's passing it to the point guard who sets something up. So I think, I feel like a lot of his, passing and maybe some of his dribbling is predetermined obviously there's that amazing highlight i don't think that that's going to happen often so i would say that his playmaking is the 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 one real weakness other than the fact that he's kind of a skinny 18 year old which there's plenty of them so once he is able to bulk that won't be that big of an issue i do like that he doesn't try to do too much but I agree with you on the handle. That's something I also noted that he needs to tighten up the handle, especially if he's going to be dribbling off of rebounds and and essentially leading, you know, fast breaks or secondary fast breaks. If he's going to try and score off the bounce, which you clearly want him to be able to do at the next level, uh, the handle is going to need, you know, I I think a lot more work, but again, we're, we're projecting five, six, seven years down down the road here. Like Kevin Durant didn't come in right off the bat able to do the things that he's able to do now. Uh, it takes time, repetition. And I would say the, maybe the biggest thing aside from playmaking is finding a go-to move offensively, especially for a big man, because yes, you are going to get those pick and pop opportunities, those pick and roll opportunities, but those are predicated on somebody else doing their job. All of the great players are able to call for the ball and say, get the fuck out of the way. I'm going to score on my man one-on-one. He needs to figure out what that, what that move is, Uh, whether that's a quick jab. And then he pulls up for the jump shot, like a Kevin Garnett, Uh, Tim Duncan had the bank shot. Uh, Rashid had that incredible turnaround fadeaway, whatever it is, he's going to need to define that. I think that will help define how great he can be. So, with Evan Mobley's brilliance and his ability to play the off forward, where do you project Jabari in his first contract positionality wise? Is he a four? Is he a five? Or is he a three? I think a great coach just throws him out there. I, I, I think he is the reason I have him number one on my board is every single NBA player fits mm. with Jabari Smith. And I think that is incredibly rare. When you go down the list of great players, even great players have, oh, you need this type of player to work with them. Allen Iverson needed needed a certain type of player to work with him. 
only the greats are like, yeah, he can play in any system in any era. So I, I think it's going to depend on what team he goes to. What does the roster construction, you know, kind of look like? And honestly, it probably will just depend on a matchup by, by matchup basis, you know, every, every opponent. Yeah. You don't want him to go against Jojo year one, Jabari Smith. No, like I I do think he can be a small ball five. I think he's probably a four right out of the gate, but I would love to see him. You know how the warriors had their death lineup. I I think you could have a large lineup with Jabari Smith as your three, because he's able to defend on the perimeter. He's able to stretch the floor. I mean, he would absolutely dominate a lot of small forwards in this league. And if you put two plus defenders at size, behind him i mean you were just going to dominate the glass dominate dictate the tempo um that's just the pos- the position versatility is 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 through the roof it's it's not like we haven't seen since i think anthony davis is probably the, the last one that i can remember coming out of the league i think mobley is is in those talks as well but those players are so rare that's why that's why it is a big deal that Portland is given a, a puncher's chance to try to acquire a player of, of this caliber. Obviously, this is predicated on a lot of things that we don't know what's happening, but I feel like he is a perfect power forward for use of Nurkic to pair with. And I mean, like, let, let's say that Cronin and he agree to a fair contract offer. I think that Jabari would be the one of the premier pairings with with Yusuf they make up for each other's weaknesses like strength is one of Jabari's biggest weaknesses well we have a 300 pound bear that is pretty mobile like the ability to fit with everybody not just one player like Zion needs a whole team but Jabari can fit with everybody on our roster or you know like He'd be good with Miles Turner because he can rebound the ball. Like there's a lot of things he can do that make center's jobs a lot easier. Okay. So assume the Blazers win the lottery. They take Jabari Smith. They re-sign Yusuf Nurkic. They have Norman Powell and Damian Lillard <clears throat> at the one and two. Who's that realistic small forward? You have those four. Who's that realistic small forward you want to round out that starting five that Jabari's really going to you know, collab with, and they're going to have great chemistry. They're going to just, you know, benefit one another in, in just a, a, a great way on the court. Honestly, I feel like he's on our team in Nasir Little. Like Nasir's going to do the effort plays and just be that athlete that, you know, I don't think Jabari's that top tier athlete. So to have somebody that's explosive and can jump out of the gym. I think Nasir Little would be a really great pairing. Three shooters might be a little bit of an issue with uh, Norm, Jabari, and Dame, but like, I feel like we can make it work with, with Nasir and those four. If you were the Blazers, you get the number one pick. You've committed to Damian Lillard. Do you move it? It's got to be for something great. I, I don't want like a Demonis Sabonis or something like that. It's got to be somebody that has some two-way ability and able to fit with Dame. I honestly, like Jabari Smith might be like a top five pairing at the power forward with Damian Lillard. So that that's tough to like think of like trading him after we get the first overall pick 
if we get the first overall pick. He fits with him like a glove. So it's really difficult to want to trade him when there's just such a cheap contract and a really good player. It would be tough to want to trade him, but it would be like a top 15 player. And I don't think they're trading a top 15 player for Jabari Smith or the first overall pick. Yeah, I think it needs to. Be, it would have to be a player under 28 years old, top 10 to 12 in my book. I don't think you trade number one overall picks unless you're getting a young proven multiple and multiple picks back it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a pretty big ransom for whoever gets first overall if they're willing to move it you're getting a lot of stuff from from that team exactly so i would want to continue to build around jabari and i think he like you said he works like a glove with dame i think he would make dame's life so much easier especially defensively Mm -hmm. But let's also talk about if Anthony Simons is the starting point guard, how would you feel going forward about a young nucleus of Anthony, Nasir, and Jabari? And then whatever we get for Dame and CJ, and that's all future tense. I feel the best about Jabari out of the three of those. Well, obviously, but is it – I, I, I just go back to when Portland kind of tore it down and they had that you know magical draft night of 06, getting Brandon, getting LaMarcus, the just the the joy and you know jubi just the, just the joy we felt on draft night getting Greg Oden, like having that, like that was the big three. I know Jabari, Nasir, and Anthony wouldn't be up to that point, but all young also with a lot of potential. And I think the best thing, I do think they complement one another. Yeah, I think Nasir and Jabari would fit really well. And then the pick and pop between Ant and uh, uh, Jabari would be pretty lethal just because both of both of them are great shooters. And then Jabari can make up for the, the defensive liability of Ant. So I think it would work, but I would love for Ant and Nasir to have a higher ceiling in my mind because... Right now, I feel like Nas is going to be a good good player, but I don't think he'll be a great. And Ant is really high variance. He'll either have a dramatic quarter or he's going to be kind of a non-factor. But it's a core to work with for sure. I know you don't like player comps. I, I love them. It gives me something to envision how a player is going to be. Who is Jabari's floor in, in your mind? from day one. So I'm trying to think like I have one, but I feel like it's very weird. Uh, Kevon Looney with a really good jump shot would be his floor. I think his floor from what I've seen is current Jaron Jackson jr. See, that's, that's 75% for me. I think that's his floor. I am. So the, the issues with Jaron with him not being big enough as a five, like being a tweener in a bad way, you see those issues in his, you know, floor, his floor evaluation. When I think of, I think Jaron Jackson Jr., I, I loved him as a prospect. Unfortunately, the injury bug has caused that uh, floor to to drop a bit or the ceiling to drop a bit. Um, you also look at his inability to defend without fouling. He, mm-hmm. he, he is a foul monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. number one, I think. 
And I, I just don't think he's taken that next step. I think he's, I think if Jabari ends up as Jaron Jackson Jr., you're going to look at a player who's a little bit inconsistent, kind of like Anthony Simons. He's going to have those nights where he wows you. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have nights where he goes like 0 of 9 from 3, just missing wide open looks. So just the inconsistencies. And having five fouls three. or something. Absolutely. So that's where I kind of said the, the floor for, for me. Uh, the ceiling oh, for Jabari God. Smith. Prime Richard Lewis in 2020. I mean, he got max salary. I see. I don't think Richard Lewis played a lick of defense. Okay. <laughs> it's tough because I don't want to say KD because I don't think that's impossible. No, I don't. I don't think he's, I don't think he's offensively as good as Durant. My ceiling is, is Kevin Garnett with a little bit more range on his jump shot. I don't know if he has the, the mental that, that that switch is very hard to find exactly but we we don't know until he, he gets out there i mean that's why it's a little bit of, of a dice roll for evaluators but when they go in and make that final selection but why i i think that it's their, their build is similar i think they are kind of lean lean players what i saw in game two of what he was being asked to do defensively was so impressive like i think that that is incredible for an 18 year old kid to be able to go do. Um, and Garnett was one of the best defenders, versatile Ever. defenders <laughs> that, that the game has seen. So if we're talking ceiling, you're talking a number one overall pick here. I'm not talking about, you know, some guy who has two or three good games in a row and might go late first round. We're talking about five star, number one pick. If I'm saying ceiling, I, I do think it's Kevin Garnett with more range on his jump shot. And KG was a knockdown mid range jump shoot, jump shot. Uh, player he just didn't take threes because that wasn't his era like and i mean yeah, yeah. i, I kind of get i kind of get it i i actually do get it it's just that's a hell, i know that that's a hell of a player but that's ceiling i'm not that's a hundred percent capacity ceiling let's say dame resigns would it be jabari's team on his second contract oh yeah yeah okay okay and then so we've talked floor we've talked ceiling who is your player comp for just middle of the road? Michael Porter Jr. with good defense and rebounding. Which is perennial all-star. He's really an interesting, good prospect. It, that's that's a really good comparison. I went back a little bit further, a little bit uh, tied it into our, our Rip City history. And what I've seen, he, I think middle of Cliff Robinson. Cliff Robinson was ahead of his time in terms of stretching the defense, playing the three through five. We saw him in the finals, you know, play play the five. He defended David Robinson in the Western Conference semis when Duck was hurt as a rookie. Uh, I think Cliff Robinson in that era, he he was meant to be in this era. Like Cliff he, Robinson, he would be Jabari Smith if he was. He in would this be. Era. He was a great defender, a great outside shooter. I think Jabari is better with the ball in his hands and and I think he is a better prospect but I think if Cliff Robinson had played in this era he has more than one all-star more than one sixth man of the year award but that's still Cliff Robinson in the modern era is a hell of a player I like it I think your comps are very aggressive but I actually do see it like obviously KG is like ooh, <laughs> but the two big weaknesses is passing and and dribbling at 6'10. We're not talking about a 6'3 guard that has trouble dribbling. We're talking about a guy that's 
six ten. That that is a huge thing when you're evaluating players. He's six ten doing these things. He's not he's not a guard doing it. I like that comp. It's it's lofty, but I like it. I feel like mine might be a little too real realistic, but I think that Jabari is a archetype that we're going to see a lot, and he's one of the first few that is what he is. So, at, like in five years, we're going to have the the Jabari Smith archetype in our heads. Like you know, like Wes Matthews was an archetype before its time. This is an archetype before its time as well. I like the stupendous shirt too. So is he number one, two, three? What is he on your list right now for your, if you were the GM of the Blazers and we happen to get number one? He's the number one pick on, on, he is number one on my big board. I haven't filled out a big board yet. I've seen bits and pieces of others. I think as we continue to do our future Fridays, we'll get more and more Intel and insight on, on these players. But right now he's, he lives up to the number one, you know, mm. standard in, in most of, of the mock draft. So easily number one, I think he's the prize. I think he's, he's the reason right now I'm hoping Portland loses as much as they can to get the best possible opportunity to pick him because for all of the things that we've said, the potential, the fit mm-hmm. uh, the archetype, like he is the future of where basketball is going in to have a two-way player at 6'10", like, you can build around that. Oh, yeah, and, like, you could have – Yusuf Nurkic doesn't have to be our center. We could you, we can have Miles Turner. We can have basically anybody be the five, and he'll fit in perfectly. Like, you can always use a tall shooter, always, that can play defense. Like, that, that – the fit is just wonderful. Like, Chet, you're going to have to have a specialized roster to utilize his immense talent. And I guess in my eyes, his 100% ceiling is better than Jabari's, but everything else, everything under the sun, Jabari is the number one guy. And when you think of teams that are in this range, I feel like Jabari is the number one guy for most teams when you just like think of needs and like what the NBA is going to. It's it's like maybe there's a few teams that would prefer Chet or uh, Bonchero, but Jabari is like the number one guy. I, I would imagine a lot of people's boards. And you said it was going to be a 20-minute podcast. <laughs> hey, 40 minutes. That's that's a short one by our standards. Yeah. Uh let's let's wrap this one up. Let our listeners know who the next prospect will be and where they can find our our, our content at. I think that our uh, next one should be Paulo uh, Banchero. I there are many games. I think we're gonna start out with the uh, Duke-Kentucky game, so we can see uh, multiple prospects because Duke has a lot of guys. Like, Wendell Moore could be the player of the year. I I definitely want to check out Duke multiple times because uh, they have so many prospects and so many guys that I think could really make an impact in the league. So next week, expect to see a podcast of uh, us talking about that Duke-Kentucky game. So uh, peace out, and uh, thank you for listening to this new part of the Holy Backboard.